0: Good to see y'all tonight. My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm on staff here. Best job in the world. Love being here on Thursday nights with y'all. Go Hawks this weekend. It's going to be a special weekend for everybody here. Can't wait. We're going to get that started tonight. Uh, We are going through a series that is very creatively titled, right? If you look behind me, you will see a screen that just says Jesus on it, okay? We are going through a very simple series with a very lofty goal that we would fall more in love with Jesus. Jesus. Right, like that, When you have a friend who you were just kind of obsessed with, and they're awesome, and you hang out with them a lot, and they've changed your life, and they say a lot of things that you start, you really want people to meet them, don't you? And so our simple vision for this Jesus series is just going through our favorite stories from the Gospels and reintroducing you over and over and over again to the best person ever. Sound good? Cool. So tonight is going to be a fun one. He's a great friend. He is here. He's alive. He's done so much for us. He's a friend who continues to amaze us, to save us, and honestly, to destroy our expectations that we bring in here of who he is. All of us come in, week in and week out, myself included, of who we think Jesus is. And there are some things that we definitely get right. But what happens a lot in my life and why I need to open the Bible every single day and sit under preaching of the Bible every single week is because I need Jesus painted right in front of me over and over again. I am super prone to make Jesus this small, like boxable, bite-sized God that meets my every need and desire. And he is so much better than that, guys. We have a great friend in Jesus. And tonight's big idea is that this great friend He wants to surprise you forever. Jesus is a friend who will surprise you forever. And if you're immediately a little nervous about that, like, whoa, what's up with that? I don't know if I like that big idea. That's okay. I get that. I think it should make us a little nervous because we kind of work by a social code. It's a little bit unspoken. We have words for it, but there's kind of this rule, right? You guys are meeting a lot of people. You kind of walked in. Maybe you have new roommates, like randos that you've never met before. And what do you do? You have to put your best foot forward. You have to make a good impression, right? First impression is everything. We don't just introduce ourselves with the worst part about us. That would make no sense. That'd be super weird. Like, hey, I'm Ryan. I had a lazy hour when I was in third grade or something like that. Like, that'd be a stupid way to introduce myself. You might feel bad for me, but other than that, it wouldn't get me anywhere. We don't talk about the things we're embarrassed about. No, we talk about maybe what's best about us. We try and take the conversation really, really quickly in that direction. It's called letter jacket syndrome. When You know know the guys. Come on, guys. Maybe somebody wore it in here tonight. But it's like within five minutes of meeting them, it's like they want to tell you about all the records they hold in like varsity athletics, you know? That's called letter jacket syndrome. And so to you tonight, hang it up, man. Um, We feel the need to impress because we think if people saw the best in us, we would be loved, right? We would not be alone. We would have plenty of friends. But on the flip side, if we thought the people would see the real us, what goes on behind closed doors, our past, our history, our skeletons in our closet, that we'd end up alone, right? That we would be unlovable, that we would have no friends. And guys, Jesus is not like us. There's no skeletons in his closet. There's no hidden faults he has to keep secret from us. There's no sins that he has to hide. He is the endless supply of friendship, goodness, love, mercy, and delight. And what's so great about Jesus is that he wants to give you forever, give me forever the the privilege to explore this friendship with him. He's unlike any friend that you have, that you've ever had, you ever will have, and he wants to surprise you forever. But what do I mean by that? What do I mean by saying that he wants to surprise you forever? Well, we're going to read a story tonight in Matthew 14, where Jesus' friends think they really have him figured out they seem to do a lot of cool things. He's been doing miracles. Uh, they're growing in popularity. It's kind of like they're the hottest band in town. Crowds are following them around. Everything is going according to plan. This might actually be the Messiah. Boom, they're on a roll. But in the midst of all this success, if you want to call that, Jesus has an uncanny ability to cut through the noise and get to what's ultimately important, namely who he is, and even more specifically, letting his friends in on who he is. He wants to say who the true Jesus is. And the true Jesus actually surprises a lot of people, doesn't he? Right? He surprised a lot of people. And honestly, I hope he surprises me and you tonight. Hopefully even tonight, our expectations of who Jesus is just blown out of the water, it surprises us as we explore this idea that Jesus is a friend who will surprise you forever. And we're going to kind of unpack Matthew 14, kind of in like three big surprises, if you will. The three points, kind of like three big surprises and so open up your Bible to Matthew 14, or just look on the screen, it'll be up there. And we're gonna see the first surprise, surprise number one, is this in the story. Jesus leaves his friends alone. Okay, Jesus leaves his friends alone. I'm just gonna read 14:22 through 24 for us of Matthew 14, it says this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat where the disciples were was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Stop. Okay, we pick up the story in a very, very exciting place. Jesus had done an incredible miracle. He just fed 5,000 people. More accurately, 5,000 men, which means thousands and thousands of thousands of other people as well. With just a couple of fish and loaves of bread. People were not just eating, they were stuffed. Not only were they stuffed, they had baskets and baskets left over. Jesus had done something incredible, and the crowd was nuts about it. They were so stoked. This guy just fed us from nothing. We would be impressed as well. It even says in John 6, a parallel passage talking about the same miracle. But the crowd was so excited they wanted to make him their king how nuts is that could you imagine a king that could make food out of thin air who could feed you and take care of your every desire the crowd was excited about being fed and you know what if he could do that maybe he can set us free from the romans maybe he can give us everything we want and make us free from our oppressors but jesus has other plans he doesn't seem to want to become their king he wants to shoo them off and get on to something else It's actually time to go. It's time to go do more ministry, to go to the other side of the sea. And what happens next is pretty confusing. At least to the disciples, it was very, very confusing. He sent them away. Notice, without him. Jesus, who's been like the dude, is like not part of the team anymore. What's going on? They have a ton of confusing questions. We have more ministry to do. We have an agenda. We have crowds across the sea. How is he going to get there? When is he going to get there? Like, does he have another boat? No. No. The disciples are surely confused and maybe even a little bit scared. Why do I say that? A lot of these guys were pro-fishermen. They made their living catching fish. They know the sea very, very well, and they know when a storm is coming in. They can see the clouds. They can feel it in the air that the wind might be picking up even as they're bickering about themselves as to what is going on. And they're probably even remembering, last time we went out in a storm, Jesus was with us and he calmed it. He just said to stop and the, the storm just stopped. But now he's not with us. And that's a little bit freaky. They see their friend and their teacher push them off as he goes on a hike by himself in the night. This is a terrible feeling when your friends just bail on you, right? Like the, especially the unexpected when you went and they it's the worst. I literally still have a vendetta against this kid on my middle school basketball team. I haven't talked to him since then, but maybe I should forgive him, because he was the only good player on our team. He was huge, okay? The rest of the team was about five foot nothing, 90 pounds soaking wet, i.e., they all looked like me, okay? <laughs> this kid, he will go on name, but we called him man-child back then. He hit puberty when he was in like third grade, okay? He was a full-grown man who could dunk it in middle school, and we were nothing without him. And I still remember this game, playing a team called the Trojans. Don't know why I remember it, but I remember having to get down and dirty in the post against these six-foot middle schoolers who absolutely destroyed us. And I remember all we could think about was where the heck is the man-child. Family reunion, don't care. Family emergency, don't care. Does he not care about what's happening to us? We felt abandoned. And I'm sure the disciples feel something similar because it appears, at least, that's what Jesus is kind of doing to them, right? Like, go on and do this ministry without me may sound surprising but to them, but maybe it doesn't sound as surprising to you. I mean, honestly, it doesn't surprise some of us at all. Like Jesus leaving people alone, yeah, that's not a surprise. I feel alone, I feel distant from Jesus. The fact that he would even call us his friend is like a foreign idea to me and doesn't make any sense. Let me ask I guys, are you shocked by Jesus' silence in your life? Are you, like, surprised at how distant Jesus feels from your own heart? Does this story just sound so much like yours right now? All right, what, what is he up to? Okay, let's look at this. Look at verse 23. We read it. It says that Jesus went up on the mountain to do something. It says that he went up to pray. And also says that he was there alone. And I love that. That's some good irony. We know the son of God going up to pray on a mountain is not alone, but he is with his heavenly father for sure. But what do you think he was praying about? Have you ever asked those questions? You ever thought about that? like, is he just needing some rest and relaxation? Kind of recharge to be like a one-man catering service for like 10,000 plus people? Probably a little bit. That's gotta be exhausting. But what we do know, for absolute certain guys, Hebrews 7.25 says that this Jesus always lives to do something. This Jesus always lives to intercede for his own. That is a fancy way of saying Jesus loves to always be praying for those he loves. Jesus knew he had something in store for his friends that night, something very hard, and they needed spiritual strength. They needed his prayer, because if they made it through tonight, they would see something amazing, guys. And maybe, just maybe, their lives would be changed forever. What is it? Surprise number one was that Jesus left him alone. But the kind of building suspense, surprise number two, you've heard this before, Jesus walks on water. I'm going to read a more chunk of the text. Verse 24 again through 32. This is an amazing story, guys. Again, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Bold statement. Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And they got in the boat and the wind ceased. Okay, this guy walking on water thing is somehow not surprising to a lot of us who have heard it before. But let's just stop, put on some fresh eyes here like we've never heard this and say, whoa, how amazing would this be to see? How crazy would it be to see a man walk away, apparently so crazy that they thought it's more likely a ghost than it is our friend Jesus. That's how crazy this is. And I guess the big question is why? Like is he showing off? Like have you ever wondered why Jesus does some of the miracles he does? Like why in the world did he just just to be cool? I I don't think so. We notice a couple things here that we can't miss, okay? It's a really interesting chunk of text. And the first thing we saw is that the fear of the disciples, right? Like these burly fishermen, manly men are crying, just soaking wet from their own tears. And they're met with a stern command to take courage. And some of you guys are reading the King James Version. It says, be of good cheer. I love that. At their most frightened moment, maybe of their life, close to it, you hear Jesus say be of good cheer. What a cool thing to say. Jesus telling his friends to have courage was not after he calmed the winds, was it? No, it was during the storm Jesus is I assume very calmly declaring in the midst of the storm that he is first and foremost what they need in this moment. Not a change of circumstances, but Jesus And the reason he can say this, guys, the reason he can be so audacious and say, I am what you need, even on the very brink of death and calamity is because he is undoubtedly in control of the situation. He sent them out. He is in control. The seas have always been a sign of chaos. Like even if you read in like other religions, textbooks or other history, like the sea has always been about chaos and disorder. Like you even read about old gods like Marduk or the Baals, like they have like these tales of like wrestling with the chaos. And the Bible kind of does too, but there's something different about the way the Bible talks about the sea in the beginning of Genesis and even at the end of Revelation. It's not like God wrestling with and being challenged by the sea. It's always God over the sea. It's always the chaos in complete subordination to who God is. The spirit hovering over the water and God ultimately getting rid of chaos at the end of Revelation. Jesus is in absolute control and there is not one gust of wind or mighty wave in this story that does not belong to him. And that's good news. And next we see Peter jump ship. Hilarious. Hilarious. This guy, I wish he could come and preach. He would be funny. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. Where did he get this faith? Where did this guy get so brave? Well, I don't know if he's being brave. Think about it. This dude is in a boat that's going down with 11 other guys. They have been struggling literally all night. The dawn is almost upon them and they're still rowing like crazy. And Peter's realizing, I actually think it might be safer to run on top of water towards Jesus and where he is than it is to stay in the stupid boat. And so he jumps and he goes. Peter knows that sinking boat is far worse than being on the open sea. So he puts his eyes on Jesus. He does the impossible only quickly to feel something. He forgot that there were waves, right? He forgot about what was scaring him, the thing that was threatening his life, and so he starts to sink. It says explicitly, he saw the strength of the wind. He was afraid. The waves didn't stop. But also notice, Jesus didn't go anywhere either. If anything, he came closer. And at this moment, Peter made a judgment call, didn't he? Peter made the call to believe his friend who had command over the chaos who is literally walking on top of the chaos, were to believe in his circumstance and what was going on around him. What you absolutely cannot miss in this story, guys, is it's just right here, guys. Jesus's words are far more important than Peter's circumstance. Let me say that again. Jesus's words are far more important than Peter's circumstance. To put it another way, Jesus's word carries more weight than the waves. Jesus' word carries more weight than these waves. It's a great truth that no matter what Jesus says, you can take it to the bank and stake your life on it. And it made me think of the worst illustration probably of all time. And I'm sorry, I'm just gonna do it. I was deciding right when I get there, I'm gonna decide should I do it or not. But whatever, here it goes. I'm in a boat, okay? Okay. And I have a friend, it's not Jesus in the story, but he's out on the waves, if you will, and he's calling me to tell me to come to his side of things. Get out of that boat and come over here. And the friend in the story is a guy named Mikey Stewart. Okay, I'm gonna put a picture up there if you haven't met him yet. He's a really smart guy. He actually graduated <laughs> He actually graduated from high school. Um, the reason I can talk about Mikey, he's on staff, he'll be preaching next week. The reason I can talk about him tonight is because I know, guys look at me, I know that Mikey is home watching the football game and not actually logged into SALT. Okay. So I can talk about him all I want. Uh, no, Mikey just had a baby really excited for him. He'll be back next week. But here's the situation I find myself in. Hypothetically, of course, I'm in a boat and it's sinking and Mikey's over there calling to me. He's saying, Ryan, mm, sell everything you have and put it in Bitcoin. <laughs> Hypothetically, Mikey would never say anything like this, of course. But he says, Hey, I'm serious. Says something like that to me. And I sit there and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at the water and, you know, the metaphor. Come on. And it's the stocks. It's like the stuff you're seeing on the computers and the TVs and all that. And let's just say, hypothetically, Bitcoin is down hard. And I said, you yeah, I don't know. It doesn't look too stable. He goes, hey, it's on sale. Get it while you can. And I say, I don't know, man. And I start getting calls from other people. I'm looking at the TV. Everybody's like, dude, if you have Bitcoin, get out. You're in trouble. You're going broke. Blah, 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 blah. And everybody, and like all the numbers, all the data is saying, don't do it. And Mikey says, I'm serious. What are you going to do? Literally nobody in here, nobody, I don't, nobody <laughs> unless you're a big Bitcoin guy, uh, nobody in the crowd here is going to take his word for it. You're looking at the situation, gauging the risk, and saying there's no way the reward is as good as this risk in this metaphor, of course. And what's really, really interesting is that Mikey's words don't actually carry more weight necessarily than what's going on around me. (laughs) There's my plug back to the boat, get it? Okay, Mikey's words do not carry as much weight as the numbers that I'm reading on the charts. He can't just say something and make it happen. I don't believe him. But with Jesus, (laughs) it doesn't matter how real the waves are, the wind, the chaos, it doesn't matter how real it is. His word is greater because he is greater. And when he beckons you to take courage, come to me. The only safe place in the universe is right next to him. Peter believed the roaring of the wind over the whisper of his God, and he begins to sink. And with just a cry of help, of desperation, finally, Lord, save me. Outstretched hand of Jesus saves his life and all is calm why did you doubt? That's Jesus' cutting question to the soul. You can always trust me. And this is faith to fix your gaze on him, guys, to fix your gaze on him. It is your salvation to believe what he says is your eternal life. And Saul company. I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of us in our new stage of life, but I think a lot of us just even in our faith are ready to take a next step. I think we're right on the brink of like stepping out, whatever it is, and like taking that next step But realize what you see here, that faith takes action, action that might absolutely be terrifying, but also don't miss that doubt has action as well, sinking. Tonight, guys, it's not a matter of choosing to have faith or not, but your faith is either in the boat or it's with Jesus. You will put your faith in something. You do have your faith in something. You can either believe in Him or believe in the waves. And Jesus is surprising us with His authority. But maybe even more than that, surprising us by calling us to Himself. Which leads us to our final surprise of the night, guys. Surprise number three, that Jesus leads His friends to worship. This one verse, this climactic ending that is so exciting, And so simple. Verse 33 says, Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. This one verse is kind of getting to the point of the entire story that it's been leading up to. Remember at the beginning where we're coming from, okay? We're fresh off of a big old miracle. Jesus feeding the masses. Full crowds who now have an agenda. We like what this Jesus does for us. Yeah, we can get behind this guy. Let's make him our king and maybe even be free from Rome. Let's ultimately get what we want out of him. But we know, church, with this book, with the rest of the story that Jesus did not come to first be a conquering king, but to be conquered on a cross. And so we now know exactly what Jesus was doing when he sent these disciples into the wind. We know why he surprised them by walking on the chaos of the water that stirred up their faith. He did this to blow their expectations of him out of the water, to show who he truly is. Guys, he did this so that his disciples would worship him. He cut through the the haze, the fog, the noise of all the hype of the big successful ministry and said, no, this is who I am. It wasn't enough, guys, to be consumers of a good that Jesus was handing out. It was about bending your knee in worship and reverence and awe to the true Son of God. Not to fill our bellies or to free us from Rome, but to fill our souls and to free us from sin. He might not be the Jesus that the crowd wanted him to be. But he had to be himself. He had to be the real Jesus And here he is, the son of God. A title used only twice so far in Matthew. This is so cool. From the the sky opening up to the very voice of God, the father himself saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God saying it, to then in the wilderness, in the desert of being tempted by Satan, the devil, almost mocking him with the term, if you are really the son of God, to now finding its way into human mouths and the souls of mankind. This is truly the Son of God. And for his disciples, guys, it took great fear. It took walking on water and a gentle saving hand to bring them to true worship. But tonight, we don't only get the God-man safely on top of the chaos, do we? Tonight, we see Jesus who is plunged directly into the chaos and soaked in blood, beckoning us, pleading with us, come, come not out of a boat to join him on the waters, but out of a tomb to join with him in eternal life. I'm afraid, guys, I'm so afraid. But what an opportunity in the midst of my fear that so many of us don't actually know who the true Jesus is. We love what he does for us, that's for sure. But really, we don't love him. We take inventory of our life, we look up and down, and we do not worship Jesus with our lives. And for that, guys, the remedy is so simple and it is so rich and it is so life-giving to bend your knees, raise your hand and lift your voice, confess that he is Lord above all, even the waves that have thrown you into him tonight. So as Spurgeon, we can say, I have learned to bless, to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages, who is Jesus Christ on the cross, because he is good. Walk with him, listen to his voice, obey, and never stop Oh, never stop Salt Company being surprised by how madly in love he is with you, how proud he is of you. I wanna end with the story here. Um, man, one of my greatest fears in life is this. <laughs> Not like actually like public speaking or thing, but this idea, preaching to the masses, Hundreds of people. It's kind of comfortable. It's kind of fun. But what actually gives me fear about this is that I would become the type of person with a microphone or the type of person with maybe a big connection group who misses the trees for the forest. Have you ever heard that before? The idea of missing the person who's right in front of you because of the crowds around you, Jesus didn't do that. And I'm afraid to become like that myself. I know there are so many people in my life who have walked with me, with Jesus, right? Like we've done the church thing together. We've gone to Salt Company, we've done leadership, we've been on got missions trips. There's so many people that aren't actually following Jesus anymore, so many. Too many to bring up right now, too many nights crying, too many angry, day. too many. And I know that I am not the savior of their soul. I know that. Don't hear me say that or put any kind of false guilt on myself. But I also know I was not there when I needed to be at times. I know that I was not the friend I could have been. I know that it, I had this propensity that even potentially hide on, it sounds kind of weird, hide on a stage when I have a friend in need. You guys, one of my best friends in my life that happened to, and it broke us. He got into some dark stuff, man. He wasn't following the Lord. And he admitted it. But guys, this past summer, it was a fine summer, but it also it was probably the best summer of my entire life because that friend gave his life to Christ. He, he was into the dark, I mean, this guy was far from Jesus. And he gave his life to Christ. He believed, literally, I know we talked about this and maybe I was, you've got to try When you share the gospel, sometimes a light switch just goes off. It's amazing. Maybe even for you right now, you're hearing the good news of Jesus. You're like, whoa, yes, it happened to my best friend. Oh man, it was cool. And he is beginning a pattern of repentance and I want to walk with him again. And I don't want to be hiding from the hard or hiding on a stage anymore. I was so surprised that God did that for him. But do you know what is far more surprising in that story still to me? That the self-righteous, apathetic, lazy friend was also saved by Jesus. And the more I think about the story with him, and the more I look in the mirror and just see who I am, I am so surprised that Jesus saved me, a sinner. And my just question as we close tonight is, is that you, are you surprised in the amazing salvific work of Christ in your life that he has brought you from death to life? Because if you are guys, you have an awesome friendship with him that you get to explore forever. And this is exactly where it starts. And this is exactly where it ends with worship. And so we're going to end the night, like we always do surprised by Jesus, the real Jesus the living Christ, and we're gonna worship. So bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you so much. You are so, oh, your, your ways, like Isaiah says, are so much higher Than our ways. Your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so God, you are above us in all ways, and you confuse us at times. But Lord, show your face to us right now. We bring you all of our sin. We worship you in spirit and in truth. We throw our hands and our voices into the air, and we bend our knees in reverence and submission to the King who owns all things. Lord, there are some choppy seas out there tonight. There are some really, really hard situations that the people of Salt Company, your bride, the church find themselves in tonight. And I beg you, Lord, would you be sweet to us? Would you say, be of good cheer? Come. And would we just jump and go? Not looking down at the stuff around us, but looking to Jesus alive and well. And God, I pray that tonight would be the night of salvation for a lot of us. But I pray that For those of us who already know you, stop us on our tracks and remind us of who we are. We can't sing loud enough. We can't dance and jump and run hard enough. God, you are worth our eternity of worship. So give us a taste of that, an appetizer right now.